0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello,
1: and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. Hello, hello, thanks so much for joining me today on the Carmi Podcast. Hope you're doing well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing today. So today we're talking about a really, really important topic about attachment styles, and in particular, the attachment style known as being anxiously attached. Now, you may have heard about this before. it may be a new concept, but it's a very it's a very important concept in psychology all about how our early life experiences with our caregivers can impact our later relationships, whether that's friendships, romantic relationships, relationships at work. So I'm talking today to the author of the book, Anxiously Attached, Becoming More Secure in Life and Love, Jessica Baum, who is a couples therapist She is, yeah, really knowledgeable about this topic. And we talk about the signs that you might be anxiously attached. And I wonder how many of these you're going to recognise in yourself. I know that I recognise a lot in myself and that showed up so much for me in the early years of my relationship. And yeah, it's such a fascinating topic. We talk about how to heal and how to feel more secure in life and love. Jessica gives her advice for parents on Raising Secure Children. And we talk about why you might just need more selffulness in your life. So just a couple of quick announcements from me before we dig into the episode. I have made a brand new free resource for you. If you are struggling with public speaking, if you Have fears, anxieties, worries, if you get nervous, if you hold yourself back from speaking in public, and that perhaps stops you from going for presentations, promotions, new jobs, opportunities to progress. I've made a free checklist for anxiety free public speaking. You can download it at karma u.com forward slash speaking. So that's karma u.com forward slash speaking, and that link is in the show notes. I also wanted to announce that I am taking on some one-to-one clients for the last time before I go off on maternity leave in a couple of months' time. So I work with two types of people. I work as a hypnotherapist helping women who are struggling with overwhelm, work stress, high-functioning anxiety, who want to feel calmer, more in control, and more trusting of themselves. I also work as a mentor and coach for those who are therapists and coaches, perhaps you're a hypnotherapist, a coach, a nutritionist of some kind, and you're looking for mentoring and coaching for your business to expand what you're doing, to see more clients, or perhaps to create some online offerings and play a bigger game in your work. And so if either of those sound like you and you'd love to work with me, you can head to my website, karma.com you.com and you'll find all the details on my website there. So let's get into this conversation about attachment styles with Jessica Baum. So welcome Jessica, thanks so much for joining me today. How are you?
0: I'm good, thank you so much for having me.
1: I am really looking forward to this topic. I think it's such a deep topic and so important for anyone who yeah, is struggling in relationships or struggling with their anxiety, I think it's such an important thing to discuss. Your brilliant book is all about attachment and being anxiously attached, but can you tell us a bit about your work and how you got to where you are today?
0: Sure. I'm a psychotherapist here in the US. And when I was younger, I struggled with codependency, depression, and anxiety growing up. And I think I've read every single book on codependency and all the self-help books out there. And eventually through working on myself, decided I actually wanted to help others. And um, through my own personal relationships and through my my own work, working with addiction too, I actually became a specialized Mago therapist, which was like extra training in relationship counseling. So I started to look at the dynamics and the underpinnings of relationships and started to help I actually first started to help addicts and their family systems and really helping the family system change. And then I started working a lot with couples and seeing a lot of unconscious things happening and a lot of what we call trauma bonding and helping couples kind of unpack what was really going on in their relationship. So years of doing that led me to want to share not only my personal journey and what, what helped me, but also what I was seeing in my private practice work and, and through my help with helping couples.
1: Yeah. And I think um, it's interesting that word you use there about trauma bonding. I feel like that's something that people are talking about now. It's like almost like an Instagram term that perhaps a few years ago, no one had heard of. And I'm, I'm just hearing that all the time. Can, can you explain what that is and, and why we might experience that?
0: Yeah. And I think it's seen as a really negative thing and it can be really negative. It's when you attach to someone and you repeatedly find yourself in cycles and actually cycles happen in a lot of relationships. This isn't uncommon, but we tend to blame our partner and we tend to feel intense emotions. And then we try to get what we want to resolve through our partner consciously and unconsciously. And without conscious awareness through both people, you can't really resolve it. You just kind of end up repeating the same pattern over and over. So a lot of the work I do is help clients see what is your partner bringing up in you that's actually your earlier trauma that we can resolve. And what is the relationship's responsibility in terms of awareness and making change and building empathy around what is being activated in the relationship? Mm,
1: so interesting. And I've often... Thought this myself, like I don't know, yeah, perhaps a bit like you was very anxiously attached early on in my relationships, and I hope that's changed, or maybe I've just been with my partner so long that it's changed. But I might ask you about that in a minute if we we can Mm -hmm. actually change this. But just seeing how much a relationship like brings up all your stuff and highlights, yeah, all the areas that we haven't healed. can you share what, it, what is it to be anxiously attached and what does that mean?
0: So yeah, anxious attachment um, forms at a really early age and it's when you're co-regulating and you're in womb with your primary caregiver and when you are out, what happens is that your primary caregiver can't meet your needs consistently. Maybe your mom or your whoever was taking care of you was going through something like my mom had postpartum and some anxiety, and she wasn't very happy in her marriage. So she wasn't as attuned to me. So she was worried about me sometimes, and she would be attuned. So you get this inconsistency in your sense of of getting your needs met. So you're always feeling like the the shoe might drop, or there's a a hypervigilance around abandonment or being left. And so that core wound gets played out in many different strategies later in life. And you might not even be aware of it. So it's like when someone doesn't text you back right away and you have powerful sensations come over you, or you're always assuming the worst case scenario where you're super empathetic and sensitive to the external world, where you can almost sense that something's coming and you tend to think the worst. Sometimes your sense of self can be a little bit lower. Like you can have a lower self sense of self-esteem, which is also a developmental strategy, So really knowing, I mean, I don't blame parents at all. My mom loved me to the best of her ability, but the wiring that got laid down and there's also an inability to self-regulate. And so we're born without a parasympathetic nervous system in place fully. We're still developing a lot of things as humans um, up until almost two, a lot of our our organs and things are still developing, but she is a stand-in for the parasympathetic. And if anybody's listening, that's the rest and digest part of our system. So her ability to self-soothe us and co-regulate with us is what develops the um, neural pathways for us to self-regulate. So if we don't get that properly, when we go up, you know, we don't know how to regulate our nervous system. We don't know how to regulate our feelings that well. So we need to lean on others. You know, people always think anxious people are dependent and they are, they have to be until they get proper co-regulation and they build proper. Healthy interdependency and lean on the right support to internalize and rewire that part of their brain because they're the missing link is self-regulation and that's not their fault.
1: Yeah, I love that reminder that it's it's not someone's fault that, you know, there may be, it's interesting you say there about the kind of being very sensitive to other people and shifting moods. And I definitely relate to that. My mom was quite up and down growing up, and I think I had this sensitivity to is she okay is everything okay and the anxiety that kind of come up from that and I think that reminder that it's it's not our fault you know if we're needy or if we're anxious or insecure or we're kind of having a strong reaction to something is Mm -hmm. important as well as I, I, I like what you said there as well about not blaming parents I know a lot of people don't like to blame their parents and almost won't even think about the fact that their childhoods could have caused something cause their anxiety because they really don't want to blame their parents. Of course, we can go sort of the other way as well and get into sort of yeah, having a lot of anger and things. But yeah, recognising that they were doing their best at the time um, mm-hmm. with what they what, what they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to read a bit of a quote from the book. And it's something that really, really just like struck me so deeply and um, made so much sense to me. And it's, um, when babies' natural outreach towards their caregivers goes unmet they develop a felt sense, which is the feeling sensations and a bodily knowing that there is something wrong with them. And as a result, many of us, uh, myself included, enter our adult relationships with this sensation of wrongness tucked deep. And yeah, that just, I feel like almost like quite emotional just reading that and knowing that's so much how I felt. And I'm sure people listening, that sense of kind of wrongness and like, I'm not okay. this something wrong with me I'm not lovable and that can really arise from this kind of anxious anxious attachment and kind of not having our needs met when we're Mm. when we're younger
0: yeah yeah and you know what's interesting about that is when you're a baby and something's going wrong on the outside it's too threatening to think that there's something wrong with mom and dad like that, that would be a very threatening thought because our needs are literally contingent on them. So as a, like a survival tactic, we turn that wrong, scary feeling in as there must be something wrong with us as a way to survive. And it's, it's, it's shame. It's shame. That is a strategy to survive in a, in a situation. And as we get closer to intimacy with a partner, that might be, Peek up and show it's, I mean, you might be in touch with it already, but part of that absorbing that and having that shame is actually a way in which you survived and tried to make sense of your situation when you were much younger. And we don't store like memories in the sense of like we have like memories like movies in our brain and um, they're called explicit memories, right? But early on, we don't have that part of our brain. We don't have our hippocampus fully developed. So we store sensations. So early on, we're storing sensations. So often when we're walking around our adult life and we get these strong sensations, we don't actually think of them as memory. And the sensation of something is wrong with me can be a really, really deep and painful memory tucked inside our nervous system.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we're, I mean, we're not taught in society to deal with our thoughts, but we're definitely not taught to deal with our feelings either. Yeah, sometimes those feelings can be so overwhelming or we just don't know what to do with yeah, but it's really interesting that it's actually something in the system that's kind of a survival mechanism in a sense that the body holds on to. Is can we change? Is it is it that right, I'm anxiously attached and this is just the way it's gonna be and there's not much I can do about it, or is it something that we can, you know, get
0: over or treat
1: in a sense? Mm -hmm
0: hmm That's a really good question. And I think, yes, you can, you, you can earn security. You can work your, toward, your way towards earned security. And we're always developing as humans. We're always going to reach out for safe, a nurturing attachment. And I talk about this a lot in my book. So you can rewire your brain at any age and thank God for that and find new people and do the work with safe people and start to understand what's going on. The only caveat I will say is that your brain, it's almost your brain is still wired for anxiety as a default, but you start to learn and expand your window of tolerance and being self-full, which I talk about in my book. And then you start to have options and you start to shift and you start to build the new wiring for um, the capacity to be uncomfortable and the capacity for change starts to get laid down. I almost describe it as if I was at my house and you were across the street. And every day for the last 30 years, I've been walking the same path from my house to your house, you know, and this path was anxious, you know, and so now through the work, we're going to learn a new path in the snow. I should caveat in the snow. Now we're learning a new path in the snow and you and I need to keep forming this new pathway together over and over again so that we choose the other pathway. It's, that's kind of like what rewiring is like. So on a really bad day with a lot of cues, I might go down the old path. But with enough practice and enough support and enough healing, we will choose the new pathway. We will start to build new pathways. So it takes time, but it is absolutely, I mean, I have experienced it myself rewiring a lot of that and expanding my ability to be uncomfortable and to have other choices and to let healthy support in, not just to help let people in to help me, but to um, internalize new healthy people inside of me to give me more resources from within that's a big part of the book is a re we internalize our parents which is okay but we have to re-internalize loving conditional people in the here and now and take in their essence which is also a process that takes time to kind of imagine those people around you and giving you advice and what it feels like to be around safe systems and taking that in and internalizing that long enough you're likely to pick the other pathway. You're going to expand your um, your options.
1: It, it sounds like it's it's a process and something that we you know, may have to continue kind of reminding ourselves or working towards. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if we get a sense like sometimes that healing is just like this thing that happens instantly and then we never have to experience that again. But it, it's almost like more realistic, I think, to think of it as as you've described and kind of, improving our, or increasing our capacity to feel things and learning about ourselves. Um, I know you, you, you do talk about self-fullness in the, in the book. Can you, mm-hmm. can
0: you share what that is? So I talk about like a lot of people who struggle with anxious attachment are selfless. And in order to adapt to survive, they've kind of uh, self-abandoned. Um, themselves, so they self-sacrifice, or they tend to move towards what they want. They lose themselves in relationship, and all of these are ways that they early, early on, they adapted, so they could be people pleasers, and um, they can be attracted to people who are selfish, which is another survival mechanism. People who are just really thinking about themselves. But the middle path, which is really interdependency, is an ability to meet your own needs, know what your needs are, because I talk about a lot of people don't know what their own needs are because. No one helped them navigate that and learn to be in relationships where they can meet their own needs and meet the needs of others and have a fluid exchange and start to feel really safe in the world, like they're supported and that they don't have to completely give themselves away and they don't have to be around people who are selfish all the time or play into that dynamic, but that they are part of that dynamic until they learn the safety of what it means to be in a self full state And again, these are all states. I think we've all experienced at times in our life when we've been selfless or selfish. And the work is about expanding your ability to be more in the selfful, safe place. And a lot of what I do works with the nervous system. So I tie this in to what we call a ventral state, which is a state of open connection, a state of safety, a state of feeling just connected to others. It's something you can't fake. And so the more you experience that in others and the more you experience that in yourself, you start to notice if you hit a selfless state, which is an activated sympathetic state of doing and fear-based state or a selfish state, which is also a fear-based state. Neither one of those states bring you into what we want, which is connection. And connection is the most important thing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that both, yeah, being like a people pleaser and also being selfish would both be kind of fear-based states for us to be in of the mm-hmm. two extremes, that piece around needs, I think is such an important one. And mm-hmm. so often, yeah, I have this conversation with people all the time that they don't know what their needs are. They, don't, they you know, it's almost like a ridiculous concept that they would have needs mm-hmm. or need, need anything that's really mm-hmm. like, like, it's not allowed. So yeah, I love that reminder to, to know that it's okay to, to have needs and to spend a bit yeah. of time discovering what they are.
0: I remember a time in my life, I mean, your parents really have to be curious about you and help you to navigate your inner world in order for you to understand your needs. But I remember a time in my life in my twenties, actually twenties, maybe even thirties, but earlier, but I, I remember turning to a friend and I was like, do I need to go to a yoga class tonight? Do I need this? Do I need that? And she would sit there and she'd help me figure it out because there's all those people out there that are like set boundaries, take care of your needs. But if you are selfless, there's a good chance you're really either too, you have been too scared and you have been meeting other people's needs unconsciously just to survive. No one's really helped you figure out what you really need, you know? And so I needed help sometimes, like I'm really tired, but I should go to a yoga class. And I would have like a friend help me process really what I needed and honoring what I needed. And, you know, There's a lot we could talk developmentally, even, you know, with hunger and thirst and rest and us not really tuning in or learning how to tune in when we're really young to what we really need and honor that we live in a society. Well, maybe not over there in England, but we're we're always busy doing, 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 doing. And um, I think we can get out of alignment with our needs or we're never really taught to listen to um, that inner knowing of what we truly need and give ourselves permission to rest or do whatever it is that we need and listen to that.
1: And no, I definitely think it's, it's similar in England. I think lots of people that I talk to, there's this idea of it's not okay to rest. You have to be productive all the time and you don't deserve to relax and all that sort of stuff that can come up. It's nice when you have a friend who knows what your needs are. I've got a friend like that she's like Chloe You're hungry aren't you and she seems to like she's very attuned maybe she's maybe she's anxiously attached and overly attuned to me but yeah and and I know people listening to this because there's one one side of this topic is obviously wanting to heal ourselves and kind of work on ourselves but also I know that a lot of people listening are parents and are thinking you know am I going to pass something on to my child am I going to give them you know, an anxious attachment style. And I, do, I wonder what you would say to, to parents who are listening to this and kind of what advice you might give in terms of that.
0: Well, if, don't worry too much about it. <laughs> but if you are concerned about that, you know, just kind of starting to learn a little bit about your nervous system, trying to eliminate some stress in your world, if possible, so that when you're with your child, you're not in a fight, flight, freeze response as much. Some of that is normal. We can't help it, you know, but the only suggestion I would say is that, you know, attune, don't over attune because that can happen to like where you're a smother your child, but really taking care of your stress and really kind of checking in with what you can eliminate so you can be present with what's going on inside of you and you're tending to that because when you're taking care of you properly, you have an easier time showing up for your child properly. And so understanding that you're one energetic unit and it's just your job to be tender and loving with yourself the same way you would be with your child and making choices in the here and now that are in the best interest for yourself so that you're eliminating any possible stress. There's stress that we can't predict and there's no... It's not about being perfect There's something called rupture and repair. So when we're having, when we have a baby and the baby cries, we listen to that. And the baby learns that when I cry, you know, and I get louder, mom hears and my needs get met. It's not about being perfect there. What happens is the child learns, even when my mom doesn't react right away, I start to build the sense of trust that my needs are going to get met anyway. So it's not about being a perfect mother. It's about the child learning to trust that you're attuning to them, that you see them and that you're there and you're listening. And if the cry gets to like a sympathetic, you know, cry, you want to, you want to attend to that. You don't want to leave the child completely alone. So learning that the child learns to trust you is more important than being a perfect mother.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Such a good thing to remember. I think there's, there is so much stuff, like I'm expecting a baby in September and as huge amount of advice that I've had is, yeah, don't, don't like think it's going to be perfect, and uh, be kind to yourself. And what I hear from so many people is that they put their child first, and then don't take care of themselves, and then maybe they end up, as you said, feeling stress, and then of course that ends up having an impact on other people as well as it tends to. But actually, the best thing we can do is look after our own nervous systems and our own stress levels, and that will have you know that's one of the best things that we can do. Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. such a good reminder about that does this also show up in friendships so it's going back to the anxious attachment is this you know is your book is it for people who are in relationships or wanting to get into relationships or does it also apply in other situations like at work and in friendships as well
0: well yeah I mean this book is for wherever you're at because you can use your past relationships as a flashlight in and I think Attachment is a two-way street. So I can be anxiously attached, for example, with my husband, but be a little bit more avoidant with a very anxious friend. So we can absorb more than one attachment style, believe it or not. If my dad was more absent, I have some avoidant protections in there. We usually have a hallmark state that we go to when we're um, scared. But I think you know this book is really for people who are in current relationships, people who are in between relationships. It's it really is about using your past experiences and your current relationships. And they don't have to be romantic to start to kind of even just start to see where your core work is and and a path towards healing what was or has been showing up for you in the here and now, and then your future relationships and who you choose or how you relate in your current relationship will change when you start to do this inner work. And I have a piece, um, chapter eight, I think chapter eight or, yeah, I think chapter eight is for couples. So a big piece of that, if you're not in a relationship right now, it's how to work through certain, um, conflict and issues that come up. And so it doesn't have to be a romantic partner, but it can be your boss or your best friend and, you can apply those intimacy exercises, intimacy. They're not sexual. They're about seeing each other and hearing each other in a different way and understanding the nervous system and how they counteract with each other and have a domino effect with each other. I talk about the anxious avoidant dance a lot. So when one person is anxious and reaching out for connection and the other person is more avoided and they're needing to run in the other direction to feel safe, you're really looking at two nervous systems, having a chain reaction with each other. And that can happen in any relationship. So understanding some tools around that, understanding how your partner or your boss or your best friend's nervous system works and how you guys can talk about talking about that in terms of when issues come up, what what works for this type of dynamic. So I go through a lot of that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a very spiritual person. I, I think, you know, relationships are always in transition and you can do your work anytime you're in a relationship with yourself and with your partner. And if you do the work on yourself, the the system's going to change anyway. And so there's nothing holding you back from really doing your own work. Um, you don't have to be in that romantic relationship to do it. In fact, a lot of people are in transition, and they don't want to create the same pattern again or pick the same person again. And I talk a lot about the pattern lives inside of you, and so like working through that pattern or understanding that pattern so that you don't when you repeat it, you see it or you respond differently or you have different options in those moments.
1: Because it is so painful when you see yourself in a pattern and you almost like, can't believe this is happening again, but actually, you know, doing this work enables you to not get caught in that kind of repeating pattern of
0: like, say a relationship that's rubbish or. Right. And I think, you know, it's, it's interesting because You know, I think that your pattern repeats and there are more forgiving relationships than others. But a lot of people think, especially with our culture is like, oh, just get rid of the relationship and find someone new or some people hang on too long. But I mean, if there's two willing people or if you do a lot of your own work, what to do will become clear. But um, getting rid of the relationship isn't always the right solution. If you do your own work, that might be the conclusion that you get to. But you might be hitting so much pain and there might be an opportunity for you to do more healing, whether or not the relationship works out before you jump to the next relationship and then hit into the same core wound and the same sensation and the same pattern again.
1: I guess in a world of kind of Tinder and all these dating apps, you know, maybe there is a sense of, oh, I'll just, you know, this is too much hard work. I'm going to, this is, this has kind of made me feel so insecure. It's not the right person. I'm going to get back onto the app. and But actually... Perhaps we are on ourselves internally than trying to change things externally.
0: Totally. I think we're so misinformed about romantic relationships. I think they're hard. And I talk about the stages and, you know, there's the power struggles. I mean, there's the honeymoon phase that can last for a while, but then your core wounds are supposed to come up in your relationship. And it's our job to try and get conscious of them. And being in a long relationship is not easy. It's, I don't know that many people who are being that honest that don't say that they don't hit rupture and repair. That's actually a healthy part of a long-term relationship and that there are phases and there are times when things are harder and, you know, all of these things are so normal yet. Like we go on Instagram and we go everywhere and we see these perfect couples and no one really talks about their conflict. Um, And people like me who do couples counseling pretty much all week long or a lot, I see a lot. And it's like, I wish people understood that romantic love hits bumps and it's a progression and it's about, you know, trying to grow and evolve together as a unit and individually, and that there are periods of uncertainty and periods of uncomfortableness. And all of that is kind of a normal part of getting through to what we call like the more conscious phase. And so it's work, it's work.
1: Mm, Absolutely, yeah. I had like a big argument with my boyfriend like two days ago and, you know, it's easy to start to think, oh, you know, how come this is happening? This shouldn't be happening. You know, we should be over this by now, but actually it is normal for, yeah, things to come up and you go through like a readjustment period where you Mm -hmm. both work on things. And yeah, I think it's so important that we remember that relationships aren't easy and it is almost like the biggest the deepest personal development we can have sometimes. I think being in a relationship, you kind of learn about stuff and there's no escape. They literally live with you.
0: So you can't Mm -hmm. can't hide away. Mm -hmm. I always (laughs) joke because my husband is, you know, he sleeps with the TV on and he's like a little bit louder than me and I'm really sensitive. And it's like, you don't think, you know, we've been together for a long time now, but like, you don't think these little things, but you know, you just, it's a constant adjustment to their needs and your needs and compromising needs and, and working through that. And, you know, the, there's another human being with completely different things going on inside of them in your physical space. It can bring up a lot of stuff constantly. And so there's work and I, I tell couples, cause I see couples a lot and they come to me usually in a really bad place like we don't spend enough time appreciating the good things where our mind is primed to point out what's not working and focus on what's not working and try to fix that. And I'll tell every couple, like, let's focus on a couple of the things that are working before we get into what's not working, because often there's a lot of things that aren't that are working that we're not acknowledging enough on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, definitely. I guess our brain, yeah, our brain's kind of hone in on the, the problems and the mistakes, particularly if we're prone to perfectionism or, being critical, our minds can really hone in on those things. But yeah, I need to remember that there's good stuff, all the good stuff that is there. You you touched on something I wanted to ask you about, which was about when you change, I'm I'm not sure exactly what you said, but I'm paraphrasing. When you change yourself, you change the system Mm -hmm. of a relationship. Because I know a lot of people might be thinking, you know, I'm working on myself. I wish my partner would go and come to couples therapy or go and work on their stuff. But, it, but can you say a bit more about, is it that mm. we, you know, we heal ourselves and that changes the dynamic in a sense? Was that the wrong
0: word? No, that's a, you know, it's the, it's a yes and maybe kind of answer. So anxious people usually want their partner to go do the work with them. And the problem is in the other person as well. And it can mm. be frustrating because avoidant people don't really want to usually do the work anxious people sometimes think the work is doing the work, you know, and sometimes for an anxious person, the work is being in the uncertainty and working through the abandonment wounds and being in the uncomfortableness of not trying to fix everything all the time. And I think it's nice. I do the amago therapy when a couple really wants to come in and get conscious together. That's a beautiful thing. And I always welcome, because your, your couple energy and with the right support can be a safe haven for you to kind of really work through a lot of these things. But I also think it's in very empowering that if your partner can't do the work for whatever reason right now, they don't feel safe enough, they're closed down to it, you still can. And by doing your own work, it's going to shift you, which is essentially going to shift them. So you're going to work through some of the abandonment. You're going to work through some of the uncertainty. You're going to sit in some of the uncomfortability. So you're going to show up differently in that relationship. And therefore they're going to sense that energetically and there are going to show up and two things can happen. You can do your work and they might never change. And you might say, okay, I can deal with some of their behaviors because they're not impacting me as hard and focus on the good things or this relationship isn't deepening because they're not doing deeper work within themselves and you might reach an expiration date. And the, the truth is when you're at that place and a lot of people can listen to that and be scared of that outcome. But if you're at that outcome, the outcome won't be scary because you have worked through your inner world so much that you'll come to terms with what's right for you rather than staying or leaving out of like a trauma response or an anger or pain. It's more like, you know, and the hope is really, if you are the one starting to do your work that, that, your partner starts to feel the changes and that there's an invitation for them to start doing the work. And part of the work is building self-compassion and and looking into your inner world and being with all your uncomfortable feelings. And I think when you do that, your compassion for your partner mirrors that work as well. And your ability to show up for them changes. So yeah, there's so many different levels. I can't promise a happy, uh, perfect ending, but I do know that doing your own work never leads to you to a bad place, but more about yourself and more what putting you in alignment with what's right for you and hopefully opens the relationship up to more compassion and mutual growth.
1: Yeah, yeah, it makes so much sense. Are there things, so when you say sort of doing the work, could you could you give an example of maybe like an exercise or something that you talk about that would be helping someone to feel more secure or... Um, helping with that abandonment fear that they may have.
0: Yeah. And so, you know, healing doesn't really happen in a book, but I have a lot of healing exercises that happen that you can work on in the book and bring, when I say the work and it's like, people will say, I want to heal. It's like all love and light. It's being with more parts of yourself sensations and starting to make sense of the trauma or where they're stored in your body. I do a lot of um, somatic practices where you're getting more in touch with what's going on inside your heart or your gut, and understanding that there are two brain centers there, and becoming more embodied and adopting more parts of yourself back. So, whatever you suppressed or had to disown in order to stay in connection throughout your life, it's about becoming more in touch with that, um, learning about your story in a different way, and actually doing the work means being on being uncomfortable in the presence of someone who can help you sustain some of that uncomfortability and start to understand that it's in that process of being held around some of these painful experiences. And the book talks about internalizing that person. So you don't always need an external person, but it starts there. If if you can internalize it, you, the book helps you do it with that internalized figure, but being with these uncomfortable, scary sensations in the presence of someone who's truly loving and their system is helping you, helps you avoid the fear-based things that you're unconsciously avoiding in your life. And so doing the work is basically building an embodiment practice and starting to understand your nervous system differently and being more present with yourself and inviting people who are safe into your world to be more present with you. So you can peel back these layers and layers. And often the work is hard. I don't say that to be discouraging. I think when you're doing the work and you're in the middle of it, even though it's hard, you can see it kind of changing within you. So there's a motivation to keep doing it and you want to keep doing it because you want to free yourself from these automatic reactions that are just incredibly painful. So doing the work, I provide a lot of meditations to go along with the book to go into your body and doing the work is doing these exercises and adopting yourself and bringing it also to a trusted friend a non-judgmental friend who help can hold space for whatever it is that starts to come up in you so that you're not repressing all that pain anymore
1: yeah it's nice to think that it could be so easy you know and we just tick that off our list quite I appealed <laughs> um, but yeah it is it is uncomfortable and challenging and I guess we want to avoid it very often. That's maybe where we've got ourselves into trouble because we kind of avoid things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think we have to avoid it. You know, I think that's a natural defense. Mm -hmm. And until the right support comes in and the information is there thank God we can avoid it. Right. And so it's about getting the right information, starting to learn about yourself and then pulling in the right support. And then the healing happens because your body is saying, okay, now I don't need to avoid it anymore. I can face little bit by little bit by little bit more of it. And so it's like a a coming back home to yourself, but it's you need the right ingredients for a sense of safety to be there for this stuff to even surface. So yeah, avoiding it, you know, if, someone's using substances or someone's avoiding it and you actively know you're avoiding it, it's because your system doesn't have the safety yet to start to be with it so you know knowing you know who to call and what to lean on and how to learn about yourself is it's an evolution and it doesn't happen overnight it's slowly it slowly starts to evolve but it's quite beautiful when you're in it because you really do feel the shift um and like you said it's it's a little bit by little bit. It's, I wish it was a quick fix. It's just it's just not that it would be quite boring. Life would be quite boring if everything was just a quick fix, too. And I think mm. anything that tells you, "Here's the quick fix, manifest this and you're done." I think, you know, be weary of that, because when you're changing your brain and you're changing your physiology, it's really about practicing things and being with things in a new way, and it takes time to kind of undo where you are. And that it's OK. So be where be right where you are.
1: I love that. Um, one question I quite often ask my guests is: Is there anything that you're struggling with, and and how you
0: kind of do that? I, you know, I talk about being selfless and selfish, and sometimes I struggle with feeling selfish and being selfless, and not knowing exactly. Still, um, you know, like I'm in book launch phase and you know, I've put a lot of other relationships on hold and I can't show up quite as much. And I'm putting a lot of energy into this. And I think I have had a history of workaholism as a protector or a safe place for me. So learning to say no and be more in my feelings when it's just so easy for me to say yes, because so many opportunities come my way and learning to keep balance in my own life and be honest with myself around what, is upsetting me or what I don't like instead of just burying myself in more exciting work and more exciting opportunities, just like taking that time to sit with whatever is really coming up and not getting constantly. I have to kind of remind myself, don't go back into that doing mode where your schedule's too packed and you're not listening or attuning to what's going on inside of you. You're using that almost as a distraction to what's going on inside of you. I think people can do it with relationships, but you can also do it with work and other things that you become kind of obsessed with or just become escapes. And there's no judgment there. I'm not even judging myself. If I do it, I just want to be aware of it while I'm doing it. Why am I eating this cookie? Why am I having this drink? Why am I saying yes to this? What do I really need? Am I avoiding something right now? So I find myself right now through this phase, you know, I'm not burnt out, but I'm trying really hard to keep balance, you know, as I try to get this book out there, because I love it so much and I feel so good about it and doing it justice in terms of of really putting it out there, but also honoring that, like, I can't drop everything in my life or I need to pace myself in this process and learning what things to say no to and what things to say yes to is kind of something I'm working on right now.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I'm sure there's so many people listening that can resonate with that, the kind of we're hearing so much about burnout and and this so many different competing demands and, and yeah, it's all, all very overwhelming, I think. And um, yeah, I love the idea of, yeah. Trying to find that balance Mm -hmm. and reflecting and having awareness of what's, what's going on. Are there, Mm -hmm. are there certain sort of practices or things that you do to maintain your own mental health?
0: Yeah. I mean, I see a therapist every week just about, and she's amazing. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in the work that I do. And I also believe as a therapist, you should always be kind of doing your own work. That doesn't mean that I've been in therapy my whole life, or there's periods where I'm not, and there's periods where I am, but I do see a therapist and she does make me sit in my sensations and doesn't let me overanalyze as a therapist, I can analyze a lot. And I do a lot of yoga and yoga's was actually something that was really hard for me in my twenties. I didn't like being in my body. I was really uncomfortable with my body. And over the years, it's a practice that helps me just on so many levels. Just um, even on the days I remember this winter, my Instagram got hacked by, uh, by Russia and I like things were falling apart and there was all this stress around me. And I just went to yoga every night for like two weeks straight and I had stopped going because of COVID and things. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot this is my safe place. This is a place where I can go in and I'm going to enter really stressed. And most of the time I leave and I have shifted in some way and I can consciously try to be embodied in that practice. And there's something about yoga and and me needing to be embodied and in my body and surrender to whatever the feelings are coming up, that it just really helps my type of personality. And so I make it a practice to get there a couple of times a week.
1: Yeah, how nice to have a practice that you know, you know, works for you and you can find that that flow with it. And yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. so
1: important. Yeah, a lot of what you said, talking about, you know, coming back to the body and being embodied and connecting with our Mm -hmm. with our physical selves, you know, how important that is. So thank you so much for everything you shared. It's such an interesting topic. And yeah, I hope everyone's gonna buy this book and feel more (laughs) secure in life and love as a result can you share a bit about where they can buy the book and any any other um, links or social media accounts you want to share yeah and I don't, I don't know, know if buy. the
0: um, UK publishers gave you any link but there's a UK it's on Amazon UK and it's anxiously attached becoming more secure in life and love and maybe they can shoot over I have a link on my website for a- Amazon um, for UK purchasers um, and you can find me Jessica Baum LMHC BeSelfful.com is my website. There's a page for the book. There's a page for Australia and UK people on the book's landing page. And then you can just go to Amazon and um, purchase the UK book right there. So it's super easy. And there's other, there are other dist- distributors, um, and I wish I knew them offhand, but they are on my page. There are other places, other vendors um, in the UK that, are, you know, that will have the book
1: amazing thank you so much for everything you share it's been brilliant
0: thank you so much for having me you've been a calm energy just like a beautiful I don't know there's something about your cadence and your presence that's just lovely and so thank you for having me and asking me these questions and helping me get this message out to the world I appreciate that
1: you have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions.